the incomparable. Number 422, September 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. There's a chill in the air. You know what that means. The leaves are starting to turn, and it means the summer of Marvel is at an end. Our little experiment, my little uh, decision that I was going to do 10 straight episodes of The Incomparable about essentially the same subject, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, comes to an end with this episode. I mean, we'll do more Marvel movies when they're released later, but this is the end of the summer of Marvel after 10 episodes uh, covering most of the 20 movies. We covered a few before, but we got a lot I watched a lot of superhero movies this summer, everybody. Um, For this final episode, we're going to talk. I have four wonderful guests here who are going to talk about some of our ideas of places that maybe the MCU could go in the future beyond the obvious, you know, Black Panther 2 kind of things. A little bit more sort of like what else is out there as the Infinity War stuff wraps up and Marvel presumably goes in some new interesting directions. One of the things about walking through the MCU this summer that's really struck me is that there have been a few pivotal points where Marvel has made some really good creative decisions to be broader, to make different kinds of movies. The success of Guardians of the Galaxy very clearly um, informed the decision to make movies like Thor Ragnarok and Ant-Man. I think it was a huge benefit to the creative life of these movies. Where will they go after the uh, the presumably final Avengers movie, at least for a while? Um, who knows? We'll have some ideas, though. And uh, then we're also going to walk through the MCU based on a poll I did of all the incomparable panelists from bottom to top, and that will be the end of the Summer of Marvel. Joining me on this final, the ultimate episode of the Summer of Marvel are four wonderful people. Um, Nathan Alderman is here. Hello, Nathan. Hi. So Marvel's the one with Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, and Batman. Don't forget mm-hmm. Batman. Lisa Schmeiser of is course. here. Hello. Not ultimate Lisa Schmeiser, but Lisa Schmeiser. Yeah, pu- you, you actually, this is ultimate Lisa Schmeiser. Penultimate Lisa Schmeiser oh, was last week. I was making a Marvel Ultimates joke. I know you were. <laughs> Dan Warren, we recast your story to be more modern. Dan Warren is here. Hello. Uh- <laughs> I'm really bummed at the end of this episode when you snap your fingers and half of us die. It's true. It's true. Stan, you've spoiled the end of this episode now. Jason, I don't feel so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, now I'm not going to do that bit now. And Moises Chuyan, of course, is here too. Hello. <laughs> finally, finally, we'll get a Spawn movie. That oh. Is... Wait. <laughs> yes. No. I can't, I can't wait oh, for somebody no, to I... pitch Blade. We're bringing back Blade, everybody. No, no. I, please. I prepped, for, I, I prepped for the wrong company. Um, yes, okay. that's right. Uh, well, Just talking it's to the leave. Todd McFarlane universe now that we're going to... Uh, okay, so um, I have... This is uh, sort of a draft, but uh, casual. again, casual. This is our, like, it's like our Labor Day barbecue or something. It's the end of the summer. We're all just kind of chilling. It's fine. We're all happy. Um, but I did select an order in, in which for you to tell me about your future Marvel movies... Wait, using whoa, random, whoa, but this using random.org, but it's totally not a draft, except maybe it is a little bit. I, I was sold a bill of goods. Uh, Lisa will go first, then Nathan, then Dan, then Moises, and then, of course, I will be last, because the host always goes last, even when it's not a draft. Lisa, um, uh, share, share some thoughts about a movie that you would like to maybe see in the MCU in the next few years. So it occurred to me while I was driving around uh, doing errands that this phase of the MCU 
could also be called, perhaps not inaccurately, the Obama phase. Because when you think about it, no, when you think about it, Iron Man came out in spring of 2008. And um, two things made it fairly radical for a, well, three things made it fairly radical for a superhero movie. One, it was entertaining, um, as opposed to grim and dark. Two, you had somebody who was reckoning with power that he had used neither wisely nor well, but indiscriminately. And three, he upended a lot of tropes of the genre, like the minute where uh, Tony Stark sits down at the end of the press conference and goes, nah, I'm Iron Man. Like the whole movie had felt different, but it honestly felt like, um, wow. It's a new playbook. I can't wait to see where this world goes. And over the course of the last eight to nine years, we've had an MCU laid out where there have been questions of how, of, of what happens when you didn't intend to build an empire, perhaps, or what happens when you have power that you have not always used thoughtfully or with accountability. And as we got closer to the end of the MCU, we also hit a, a point in, you know, I'd say, current events where we had to ask some really tough questions about whether there's um, room in our politics for a plurality of opinions. And in the same way, we've kind of seen those things playing out in the the most recent spate of Marvel movies, like between Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther. Like we've talked about this in previous podcasts. So um, I was like, I was asking myself, what is, what should the MCU do so it doesn't feel out of touch with the zeitgeist in the culture today? Like, how do you make superhero movies relevant um, in the era of pop and poli- pop culture and politics right now? And the answer is, you do the scroll invasion, the secret invasion with the scrolls, huh. <laughs> where what you find out is that for decades, you have had an alien race that has decided that the earth is pretty much re- theirs on religious grounds. You're like, no, no, this is our religion. Our religion is to have complete dominion over the universe. We have um, impersonated your culture. We have been undermining all of your institutions as we have infiltrated ourselves in them and then flip the switch and you find find out that some of the, the characters that you know and love are scrolls. We kind of saw a little bit of this with the Hydra reveal with Captain America Winter Soldier, but there's an extra element when you think, oh my god, these are people who are playing a long game and they have no interest whatsoever in the well-being of Earth. They just have an interest in their own private agenda and they don't care what happens. And a secret invasion movie would be really interesting because you'd have these guys up on the ropes in a way that is very different than it is... Um, with uh, Thanos, because with something like the Secret Invasion Scrolls, these are people who may or may not realize they were sleeper agents. The switch gets flipped, and then all of a sudden, right. holy crap, I'm an alien, and this is what I do. And I think it'd be an interesting way to kick sort of a new phase in the MCU, because um, you'd have people genuinely questioning, uh, what am I fighting for? Who am I fighting against? Why am I doing this? And who am I? And I think that kind of examination would be really a really interesting phase because it moves past origin story and more into sense of purpose. So you called this the Obama phase. Are you saying that Obama is an alien, Lisa? And if so, what's on his birth certificate? That's what I want to know. It might say Skrull Homeworld on it. That's what? how the movie be in. You see him surfing in Hawaii and he turns into a Skrull. Thanks, Skrull Thanks, Obama. Obama. Thanks, Super Skrull. Yes, exactly. All right. The secret invasion storyline. Interesting. Lisa gave this way more thought than I did. I yeah, me, go me too. That's fine. Yeah, nobody get their <laughs> hopes up for me and Dan, at least. Nathan, what what do you want to see next? Well, 
I've enjoyed the way that various Marvel movies have played with genre. So Captain America, the first Avenger is a World War II film. Uh, Winter Soldier is a paranoid thriller. Ant-Man's a heist caper. And I love a good con man movie. And mm. uh, so there's that. And then also um, Jimmy Woo, FBI agent and later agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., is one of my favorite characters from the comics. And I really loved Randall Park's goofy, sweet portrayal of him in Ant-Man most recently. But I feel like I'd like to see that guy evolve into more of the the brave, heroic leader that he is in the comics. So I'd like to pitch Amadeus Cho and the Agents of Atlas. In the comics, Amadeus Cho was introduced as this super smart kid who's on the run from a company mm-hmm. that wants to exploit his intelligence. And I think you could do a great idea where he ends up in the custody of FBI agent Jimmy Wu. Uh, you could bring in Helen Cho, who uh, is a character from Age of Ultron, played by the awesome Claudia Kim, who doesn't get to be very awesome in that movie as his sister. Uh, in the comics, it's Maddie, but you could make her Helen. And you could have them initially in like a midnight run scenario that leads them to the Atlas Foundation, this mysterious organization uh, of of dangerous, deadly supervillains who are actually a bunch of weirdo good guys posing as supervillains to run scams on the bad guys. (laughs) And they include the Gorilla Man. Uh, the human robot, Namora, the the badass princess of Atlantis, uh, queen of Atlantis, sorry. Um, Venus, the goddess of love and the part that Amy Adams was born to play. And oh. uh, and a creepy guy known as the Uranian who run, runs around <laughs> in a flying saucer. So it would be like basically Men in Black meets Ocean's Eleven. And it would be a wonderful <laughs> chance to have to, to bring a bunch of, of Asian-American heroes into the MCU. I know, you know, Randall Park is Korean-American and he's playing Chinese-American. But you could probably find some awesome unknown young Korean-American actor to be Amadeus Cho and, and just – add more diversity to the MCU and tons of fun. And I actually even think there's a good director for this. There's a guy named Joseph Kahn, a Korean American director who's best known for a bunch of Taylor Swift videos, but made a movie I love called Detention that manages to juggle wild tonal shifts while maintaining real empathy and love for all of its characters. And I think he'd be a perfect fit for a movie with, you know, a, a where a, a, a robot lifts up a gorilla man who is holding a machine gun in all four of his opposable limbs running down a hallway firing wildly. The the only the only thing that makes me feel like I want to take a little bit of air out of that balloon is knowing that Joseph Kahn is such a um, vision directed auteur. I would be concerned about him working within the boundaries of Marvel Studios as they've as as they've done things thus far. However, that said, I'm 100 percent with you that I would love for someone like him to have the the open canvas of something that would be like a Guardians of the Galaxy right. that is not a super established property that you could just play with. Yeah, I was so I got sniped here cuz I had Agents of Atlas on my list as well. I've been talking it up mm-hmm. of, of course since Ant-Man and the Wasp because uh that character is is uh is in that movie and is uh, fun but is also I'm like but he's in Agents of Atlas, right? Which nobody ever remembers. Nobody remembers Agents of 
of Atlas. I was going to pitch it a little bit differently. I, I like your pitch better, I think, Nathan. I was just going to be, my lazy pitch was going to be, what's one genre that Marvel hasn't done that they could also take a crack at? And it's the giant monster movie, right? A Pacific Rim mm-hmm. kind of style movie, which is kind of what the Agents of Atlas comic book was to a certain degree. There was the kind of that 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 con man kind of bogus uh, fake evil organization thing, but also there were there were giant monsters, Fin Fang Foom and all of that. And I think that might be an interesting way of like doing a uh, again. Marvel's had such success doing other kind of genres, and it's not just a superhero movie; it's a heist movie. Um, but I like your idea even better uh, by a lot because you had a lot more detail there than I did in my Agents of Atlas movie. But I'd love to see it. I think it would be a lot of fun. Those are some great comics. Go read them. Go oh read man, them. so good, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so fantastic. weird and funny and great. Yeah, um, Dan. Uh, what's your incredibly Hello. detailed suggestion that you want to give to us now? <laughs> well, so I'll go small scale since everybody else is going big. I feel like team oriented ah. and surprising absolutely no one. Uh, I feel it is my duty to pick, of course, the inevitable Moon Knight movie. <gasps> That's right. That's right. Oh my We're doing God. Moon Knight. We are totally doing Moon Knight. Yes. Um, the comics, you have a variety of runs, obviously, to choose from. You have the more recent runs, which are super trippy. And like Nathan was saying, you can play with genre here. You've got sort of horrific elements, oh, psychedelic yeah. elements, just like plain old off the wall, insane what the hell is going on character you know our, our mark specter who has multiple mm-hmm. identities and is sometimes confused as to whether or not he actually is even a superhero or maybe he's just insane there's a lot of different ways you could play it because you could play it kind of wacky and off the wall you could play it dark and gritty there's there's just tons of options there depending on what you want to do uh i'm gonna throw out i was looking for some casting and i'm, I'm gonna throw out one of my favorite actors who i think actually could fit the bill really well oded fair um he is is a fantastic actor uh he's in the mummy uh he was in uh, he had a recurring role on one of the spy shows i like covert affairs uh i feel like he would make a pretty good uh mark specter of some variety there but um in particular i don't know could you really adapt the warren ellis run it's just bananas I'm not sure you could, but some of the later stuff. The one of the falls is also pretty bananas, but I, I like yeah. this idea. I like the idea that mm-hmm. with with that character, you could do almost a um, almost a counterpart or orphan black thing, where it would be an amazing acting performance. I feel right. like you could throw in. It could be kind of Legion like in its psychedelic nature to a yeah, certain extent. And it's not something that that Marvel has really done. Jason, you mentioned Legion, and that. That makes me want to go down the route of I feel like Moon Knight is almost something that becomes something in, at you know at home on the Disney streaming service and is mm-hmm. their yeah. version of a Netflix series that goes dark, weird, really bizarre places. Hmm. Yeah, because on the MCU side, it's it's a little harder to envision. It doesn't quite fit. It's kind of Memento. Yeah. You, Moon Knight is basically <laughs> Memento. Where this no, where he where he's like leaving himself clues, except his different personalities don't know how to decipher assorted clues. And I gotta be honest, Chris Nolan was one of the people I thought of because thinking of stuff mm-hmm. like Inception too, where he obviously a lot of right. playing with narrative and playing with the way those works. Yeah, yeah well, what, what Christopher like, Nolan really wants to do is crap. make comic I want, movies. Right, exactly. <laughs> I want to do Moon Knight now. <laughs> I would be first of all, that would be amazing. <laughs> what I really want is off-label Batman. That's uh, what I've been wanting to do for so long. Possibly throw Darren Aronofsky in the mix too. As 
as someone who just sure. is really good at, at creepy on the wall, off the wall, really like disturbing stuff at times. But yeah, maybe this is more of a uh, a counterpart to the Netflix series or something like that. But uh, I think it's an interesting character. I you know. It's um, it gives them their take on Batman too, right? Like because it has sort of that vigilante aspect, but it's way more complex and bizarre, right? Uh, lot, than, than a lot Batman, of really so. good writing in Moon Knight in the last ten years. That Marvel has had some yeah. very good writers who have really interesting takes because they have used it to deconstruct what the hero means, uh, what having multiple personalities means, using him to talk about mythology with the Egyptian stuff, using him to talk about mental illness. Max Bemis's current run. Max Bemis has been very public about his struggles with mental illness, and that's basically. I mean, I think his story arc is called "Crazy Runs in the Family." Like it is very specifically about mental illness in in terms of Moon Knight. Um, so you know, Moon Knight. We laugh, we joke about Moon Knight, but there's been some really good writing around Moon Knight in the comics the last five or ten years i'd love to see it as a television series yeah i think it would hmm. probably be more interesting as a tv series but i you know hey, right, i'll give it you to want you to do a movie friends i need to take a brief break to tell you about one of our sponsors this episode of the incomparable the final summer of marvel episode brought to you in part by pingdom pingdom is the company that makes website performance monitoring really easy Everybody likes using fast, responsive websites, and Pingdom is helping keep your favorite sites online. Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. These are just... Have you heard of them? Yeah, I thought so. There are just a few of the companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get really complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Your site might be up, but people couldn't register for a new account or check out and buy things. These are bad things, even if your whole like homepage is up and running. So you got to check all the different parts. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And yes, if something goes wrong, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL. They will take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required or anything like that. And for those 14 days, you will get alerted if there's something wrong on your website. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout, and you will get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for the support of The Incomparable. All right, um, Moises, what do you have for us? One of the things that I enjoyed the most about Infinity War was a particular moment that is very emblematic to a lot of comic book team-up crossovers, that kind of thing, where the Guardians of the Galaxy meet this wizard with a cape and some uh, spider guy and a robot dude, and everybody assumes that they are on the wrong side and everybody gets to figure out, wait a minute, who are you and you're who? Wait, okay, we're all on the same side. And and I, I mentioned that as a as a um, touch point, because the the one that I wanted to lead off with is the one that I am the most obsessed with, that I have the most intricate idea of how to do. And it's also the one that I think a lot of people with the Fox deal closing feel like maybe a thing that could happen. But just as many people think, please give it a rest. Enough of this. Oh, you're going to do that it. is oh. the death of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> the way that I would bring the Fantastic Four into the modern MCU is to effectively uh, start in the middle of some sort of conflict, whether it was centered around the Avengers or the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy would fit the FF very well because of the cosmic FF stuff that hasn't really been touched on but a bit in the movie so far. 
uh, effectively start in the middle of a big conflict with the known property and the Fantastic Four that have been done in the movies multiple times now, teaming up to beat the bad guys, save the day. They beat the bad guys, they save the day, and the established MCU property characters go, wait a minute, who are you? And the initial inciting issue is that the Fantastic Four have been erased from continuity and have to travel through time and space to reinsert themselves into the timeline. And they 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 jump to different uh, iterations, different uh, yeah, uh, different uh, iconic parts of the Fantastic Four um, bibliography. So we're not doing the same origin story, the same Doctor Doom thing over again. We just throw a whole bunch of fun, crazy, zany, Fantastic Four stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Go wacky, go fun, go spontaneous. Show the development of the family dynamic with them actually uh, repairing themselves into Marvel continuity, Marvel's first family, the world's greatest comic magazine. Let them show what they do best. Um, Cast an older Reed, an older Sue. Put Franklin and Valeria into it. Um, do do the thing that they've done in a few cases where you age up some characters, you give some characters more runway than they've had. We don't need to go young with them again. We've had the young Fantastic Four three it's times. It's really too bad that Michelle Pfeiffer is already cast because she'd be perfect as an aged up Sue Storm. Wouldn't she? I totally agree with you. The other piece of this that is why I, I feel like this is the way to go actually goes back to everyone's favorite MCU movie, Thor, the dark world. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite define everybody's favorite for me to poop on. Anyway, go ahead. The the gag, the gag where, where Loki uh, turns into captain America for about five seconds. Oh, that's Um, that's the best part of the movie. It's the best part of the movie. And, and uh, it brings up my favorite thing about why I would structure it this way. It is so that you can have, Chris Evans cameo as an alternate reality Johnny Storm mm. and Michael B. Jordan cameo as an alternate reality Johnny Storm use the uh. casts of the previous movies, including the Corman movie <laughs> and make the cast of the Corman movie the villains. I just like the idea of some having having T'Challa do like a double take. I'll wait, what? <laughs> it just make make the Fantastic Four movie the greatest hits album of MCU movies that doesn't have the stakes of Infinity War. So you drop in, uh, you drop in different characters from the MCU as alternate reality versions of themselves, and just have fun with it. Just go silly, embrace the zany. <laughs> it's a silly kind of like parallel universe hopping kind of thing. Now you get, you told me a version of this pitch, Moises, that I actually had on my list of like if Moises doesn't bring it up, I'm going to bring it up because it's such a great idea. It it a little wind out of the sails because of X Men First Class, but I I, I really like your idea that uh, what you do is you do a fantastic four movie uh that starts out and it's the 60s and they're absolutely the most <gasps> oh. world world famous superheroes and it's and it's all right. in the 60s and then you cut to the present day and um and like nobody knows who they are or they they have their battle or whatever with Annihilus or whatever it is but they come back and they're in the present day instead of in the 60s so they're like off and then what they discover is they've been erased from history nobody knows who they are anymore nobody remembers that they were the first superheroes which I always thought was like it's great on a meta level because it's like well we didn't have them they were in another universe and now we brought them back which your pitch also also does like I, I think that some super weird funny clever way of bringing the FF into the MCU you uh to offset the fact that they've tried these movies before and 
not to a lot of success. I think that I think it's a, the right way to kind of diffuse that and say, no, 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 we're going to tell a very different kind of story. We're not going to do the cosmic rays and the oh no, I'm turning into a rock. Like no, forget it. We're we're done. We're not going to talk about that. But some other high concept thing. Yeah, we have seen so many origin stories. Let's do Lost in Space, but Lost in the Multiverse. Yeah, and my mm-hmm. um, my other thought was uh, with what Ant Man did in Ant Man and the Wasp in particular. Like I think there's an interesting and some of the visuals that I like in Doctor Strange. I think there's an interesting potential mm-hmm. for that sort of thing about like doing one of those stories where it's either more cosmic or it is something like the negative zone and Annihilus, where you have this question of like, what is reality? And we're not really in the right universe. And it could look really strange. And uh, with modern special effects, you could actually do that. There's a lot there. I mean, that, that's the sad thing about people who only know the Fantastic Four is this kind of laughable film uh, franchise is they are yeah. one of the richest minds in the Marvel universe and it's been untouchable for all of this time and it's probably coming back uh, next the, year. The, I would say that the coda that I have to this is the most important thing to me is leave Dr. Doom out of the movie itself. It is it, you, you can make it all be his doing. That's fine. Leave that for some sort of a credits tag. But I would actually I would actually introduce Doctor Doom in a Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom Triumphant Torment movie. <laughs> well, you know what I want to do with Doctor Doom is I basically want him to be misunderstood, where he's like, we're completely withdrawing from the world economy. We think exchanging money for goods and services is bogus because it creates artificial hierarchy and artificial scarcity. We're going completely energy neutral. And for whatever reason, this sets off like a geopolitical incident. And it turns out that Doctor Doom is... Um, a lot like Killmonger in the sense where he's like, I'm I'm challenging all of the foundational tenets of the way modern society is built, and I don't see why you can't just leave me alone. Like, I think that'd be a really interesting movie. I was going to say, yeah. he would actually make a great villain for a Black Panther sequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Dr. Well, Doom. You guys, the, the obvious villain here would then be Kang the Conqueror. Who exactly. Could be a great well, thanks villain. for spoiling it. <laughs> Nobody got to see the movie yet, and you, that's exactly... It doesn't even exist. That, that's exactly it. it. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I think there's something interesting in playing with the notion of um, whether somehow or another the causality is tied to them that all of the kind of Fantastic Four e type of stuff ends up threatening the the overall underpinnings of the multiverse, and that's how you end up doing something that can tie things together down the line that doesn't involve an infinity gauntlet and infinity stones. All right, we will, we were, we're going to do one more uh, round, uh, but first I'm going to go with my ending of this round, and then we'll do a Bring Out Your Dead where everybody can just lay all their other ideas on the table, and then we'll move on to the poll. Um, I had a bunch here, including the Fantastic Four, which I got to cl- cross off my list. Um, I think I'm going to pick... Uh, a couple of characters that I mean, there's this general consensus. I think that uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of characters making their swan song in the next Avengers movie. But I want to make a pitch for a movie starring two of the co- sort of um, not lead characters, characters that are important and prominent but have not gotten their due as the lead in a movie before. And I'm not quite sure what the plot is. Look, I'll hire a screenwriter to do that part of it. I'm just going to give you the big idea here, people. And this is my elevator pitch. Um, I want Black Widow and the Falcon. I think that would be a fun yes. combination. It harkens back to one of my favorite MCU movies, which is Winter Soldier. I think it can mm-hmm. be espionage but it also, you know, adding the Falcon to it. Sam, such a fun character. Anthony Mackie plays it so well. I like 
I like Sam and Natasha in that movie. You know, Chris Evans is contracted out or something at this point. It's fine. It's fine because Black Widow is an interesting character. You got a spy angle. The Falcon has his military background. I think there could be a very interesting kind of plot constructed around those two characters and having them, who are both very interesting characters, bumping off against each other in terms of dialogue. And, you know, he's got a flying suit thing and she's just got her gun and skills, right? Like, I I think there's something there. And I think those are two characters that I would like to see pushed forward in a way that they have not had a chance to be yet. We could do, I also feel like everybody says there should be a Black Widow solo movie and like, yeah, I agree, but it hasn't happened yet. So I'm like, all right, let me take another spin on it. What if it is um, Natasha and Sam together in something that uh, can harken back maybe a little bit to uh, Winter Soldier, which I love so much. So well, that's my pitch. I, I think having having her headline something that's a version of the, the, the title Secret Avengers has been used for various purposes, but it was almost, it, it, it's, I, I feel like like it's most associated with in its seven different iterations with being a sort of covert ops hmm. uh, Avengers without superpowers kind of thing. And I, th- I think there is something to uh, giving her a squad of people that are, are the reason that kids looked up to her and Hawkeye from the original Avengers movie. Oh, mm-hmm. And a bunch of us who are more focused on the superpowered people uh, were like, what do you mean, kid? And then the kid said something incredibly wise for their age, which was they don't even have powers and they're doing the same stuff the superheroes are doing. Mm-hmm. And right. there, I, th- I think there's definitely something there. And that was sort I, of my feel, feeling about, about Sam so Wilson, right? Is that he is he's yeah. just a soldier who got good at running this weird equipment that he uses, but he's just a guy. Who is good at his job, which is flying that wingsuit, and that's it. And, and quite possibly the most well-adjusted character in the MCU. It's <laughs> <That's> also true. <laughs> well, and Jason, yeah. uh, you know, I, I should mention in the chat room, uh, somebody brings up, uh, Rafola brings up uh, a, one of my favorite underappreciated Avengers characters, uh, played by DC Pearson, and that's the Apple Store, Apple Store employee, employee from Winter yeah. Soldier. <laughs> you bring him in. He's been uh, promoted. He's at the Genius Bar now. Sam yeah, has to got, get, a, get the information off of yes. an iPhone that they've yes. gotten. Mm-hmm. Yes. Perfect. See, we've got we've got our third, and they they keep recruiting a team. Um, you know, eventually they get to you know former Hydra agents uh, that were you know effectively low level bureaucrats, and, and they they rebuild Shield from the ground up. Sure. Yeah, let's say that. That's good. That was totally part of my idea that Moises just threw in there. It's great. Great idea. Um, it's getting better all the time. Uh, this is what writer rooms are all for. Okay, we'll go once around uh, with the details, and then we'll do a Bring Out Your Dead at the end. Lisa, uh, what's your next one? It's a workplace comedy called X Factor Investigations. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I, I knew this. I knew this was coming. There. Yeah, that's it. Um, just because I love Jamie Madrick's Multiple Man so much as a character. And Peter David wrote a fantastic series when he was doing um, X-Factor, uh, X-Factor Investigations. The comic book series was, of course, a bunch of mutants who were really not interested in hanging out with Scott Summers, like anyone can blame them. And instead, what they did is they solved crimes for people. Um, they originally called themselves Triple X Investigations, and then some team members were like... That sounds grown up. And, um, so, so they renamed themselves X Factor Investigation. It's Jimmy Maddox. It's one of the former New Mutants, um, Wolfsbane, Rain Sinclair. You've got Shatterstar. You've got Richter. You've got, um, 
Monet, also known as M, who um, I liked for the first time ever in the comic book series. And anyway, it's basically, it's like mutant news radio. And, and I think this is exactly what we need on the big screen are a bunch of people. Like, one of the things that... um we don't ever see with the Avengers is we never see how they became a team that managed to become a well-oiled machine. And I kind of like the idea of a workplace comedy where you see these people who all have a passion for their work and cannot work together for love or for money and then learning how to do it and becoming a well-oiled investigations machine by the end of it would be funny. There'd be a couple mysteries as MacGuffins and uh, mostly you'd be there just to watch characters bounce off each other. Sounds good. Sounds sounds funny. Again, I think I think one of the keys to any forecasting of the MCU based on what we've learned over the summer of Marvel is what other movie genres can Marvel make movies in that are superhero movies and some other genre because it works people it really works it gives yeah it gives we really them... haven't seen like a workplace comedy yeah. yet so no, i think uh, i think yeah. it's what, actually I, the, one of the things that was hanging over the moon night uh, discussion earlier that i wanted to mention is there is a fox produced new mutants movie that mm-hmm. i i'm not sure i'm gonna like it but i'm tre- intrigued by it once because it, it one it, it seems to have picked up some of the bill sinkovich um stuff that uh from the demon bear saga yeah exactly which of course bill sankovich was also really a key part of the early days of moon knight Uh, but also that it it appears by all reports to be an attempt to make a marvel movie that is a horror movie which i'm not sure new mutants is the property i would have chosen to do that but it is kind of interesting as as again trying to be like what if we did a movie that was like this or or logan is a little like that where logan is not a superhero movie really but it is like what is a kind of apocalyptic the road kind of almost movie that has marvel characters in it like so more genres attached to marvel stuff i think the more the better so x-factor investigations okay i'll put it up on the board what's that sound i hear oh no i think it may be mike hurley on a skateboard that's right this episode of the incomparable is being brought to you in part by inboard technology the people who bring you the motorized m1 skateboard it's the flagship m1 e-board and set apart from the pack with innovative industry-leading features and a sleek rugged design instead of being layered like other boards the m1 e-board deck is made from a single block of wood and wrapped in fiberglass so it's the most advanced skateboard deck ever developed it's got the world's first truly swappable battery for an electric skateboard you can put an extra battery in your bag and swap while you're on the go you can ride long after the sun goes down it's the only e-board with integrated led lights on the front and tail for a safer ride you can seriously upgrade your commute with one of these boards forget spending ages stuck in traffic forget about looking for parking spaces just pick up your board and head to work and if your commute's fine you might just want a fun way to get around your neighborhood it's great for that too now i don't have one of these but my friend mike hurley does and here is his report so i was excited about this but i've never ridden a skateboard before and this thing is actually a, a lot of fun. I'm very excited about it. I've been looking forward to riding this thing. It's really smooth. I feel like I have good control of the speed. Like, I love the safety features. I love that it has lights on it. I love the way the remote feels and works. I am very excited to spend more time with this thing. 
I want to get good. I want to ride around the streets with it. So for a limited time, only save $100 on your purchase of the M1 eBoard by going to InboardTechnology.com and use the code Incomparable100 at checkout. Get the board, try it for 14 days. If it's not for you, you can send it back. There's an easy return policy. So if you've always wanted to try out a motorized board, now is the time to do it. That's InboardTechnology.com. Use the code Incomparable100 to save $100 for a limited time only. Go there now. You won't regret it. The future of skateboards is electric. Thanks to Inboard Technology for their support of the incomparable. Nathan, what's next from you? Well, it's funny you should mention horror. Um, I love horror comedies. I love uh, Army of Darkness. I love The Frighteners. I love Your Next, which uh, is mostly a horror movie, but has some really funny parts in it. And I'd love to see Marvel do a horror comedy based on a really weird, deep-cut character of theirs, Sleepwalker. Sleepwalker is about an ordinary guy who is basically just a slice of white bread with mayonnaise spread all over him, um, and we should totally change that guy out for, for a more interesting and diverse protagonist. But I understand the he, millennials are killing mayonnaise anyway, so, yeah. you know, that works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's he's basically a piece of white bread with avocado. He's a avocado on. toast. He's, he's <laughs> avocado <laughs> toast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to to appeal to the millennials. Um, <laughs> when he falls asleep, uh, a creature from another dimension manifests in our reality. And this creature is scary looking, but ultimately benevolent and even kind of sweet and goofy. And his job is to protect the waking world from the things lurking in the dreamscape. And I think you could do if you did it where there was a reason for this character to be constantly battling sleep, maybe in a period of like lucid dreaming because they're so exhausted. Maybe they're a med student or they're studying for their med school exams and strange, eerie things are happening in the real world and this creature keeps appearing. Uh, Sleepwalker has warp vision that can warp and distort reality in weird organic ways like it was a dream that could be a really cool visual. And I'd love to see uh, a cool, funny, scary movie set in... You could do it in a confined location, a medical school, a hospital... Uh, an apartment building where you would get to know, you know, a handful of characters and have these weird, terrifying Lovecraftian incursions from the dream dimension, and then this this frightening but ultimately kind of sweet uh, hero from the other side fighting them. And you could use Nightmare from Doctor Strange as the villain. And you could this would give Marvel a chance to go even trippier than they could have gone with Doctor Strange and, and do some really unsettling, eerie, creepy stuff with just the right amount of laughs to break it up. Oh my gosh, you know you should make them like a sleep deprived new parent of like two small children. <laughs> oh that could work. Because, then, oh, because, yeah. because then you've also got the kid in, you've got your kid in peril set pieces too, and you've got the 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 creepy children's toys that somehow turn into the nightmare and things like that as well. I was imagining oh, the end credits tag is, is that the guy the, the sleepwalker's uh, uh, wife says uh, I'm pregnant and he's like oh boy I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna fall asleep a lot now <laughs> Maybe no, but, it, but instead of instead of Rick Sheridan human mayonnaise you could have uh, a new mother oh as yeah. the hero I like of the film exactly exhausted yeah. sleep deprived fighting oh, to stay awake oh my god yeah I'm completely unsure if she's imagining things or having PPD or what yeah. I, the thing that I love about Sleepwalker as a character is that Sleepwalker is established in the comics canon, but it hasn't been played with as many times as a bunch of characters, even from the same early 90s uh, time period. So there, there's a lot of I, I like that the MCU has flexed 
the boundaries of characters and not gone the strict adaptation route. And I would almost go um, go the route of, of changing Sleepwalker a bit and and not locking it to one specific person, uh, but but making it something that lives within the MCU world, but doesn't have to cross over much and can be its own. Uh, not necessarily like hard R slasher horror kind of thing, but a, a psychological uh, horror thing that is is scary, but not but not because of of jump scares and shocks and that sort of thing, but because it it, it gets inside your mind and you can you can have a really interesting auteur driven kind of three film yeah. series out of it or something. What if you can't trust what you see? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, that's fun, Nathan. I'd never heard of Sleepwalker before because I wasn't reading comics in the early 90s. So that's no, uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Dan, uh, what's your next one? All right. We spent a lot of time talking about heroes. I think it would be interesting to have something that focuses on villains. Now, of course, oh this no, would, this would require a little bit of uh, synergy with um, Sony as they own spider-man but we've seen some uh willingness to work there so i want a series uh that is focused on the run of the superior foes of spider-man which if you have not read it is completely bonkers and delightful which basically involves (laughs) the sinister six uh which is to say some really lame spider-man villains (laughs) yeah it's the most ridiculous Sinister Six lineup it's, you yes, could possibly Boomerang, have. Shocker, Speed Demon, Overdrive, and Beetle. Uh, Overdrive is my favorite villain because that's, he's just the guy who can turn cars into things. Those <laughs> all really, sound really like they're terrible. the names of operating system upgrades. Yeah. Like, oh, the Overdrive oh, yeah. upgrade is but coming out in October. The way that the series is laid out is it's sort of a like low crime series where these guys are kind of the down on your luck heroes and they are trying to uh, basically steal uh steal the head of a former new york crime kingpin um and it involves like basically them trying to get to be the head of the organized crime in the citizen and the city there's a lot of backstabbing and betrayal but it's all humorous and slapsticky and totally just ridiculous um and involves some you know uh, unreliable narration um some characters who pop up who don't aren't who they appear to be um and it's like spider-man doesn't even really appear in it at all um, well, yeah, they're, so they're all just really just mad at him, around. and I like the idea yes. that he kind of passes by, like and they brush screen. into him, and they're yeah. really—it's all about him. But he's just never—they never rise to the level where he really cares about them. Exactly, they're—they're they're too incompetent. He doesn't even know their names. He's like, okay, over overflow, and he's like, overdrive. <laughs> what are you, the spiker? Shocker! Oh, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> you could do kind of like an Elmore Leonard movie in the Marvel universe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. perfect. That's yeah. exactly perfect. what it is. Or- it's 100%. like Carl you were describing, really. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's hilarious. There's also a major plot point that involves a picture of Dr. Doom without <laughs> his mask on, but is never really seen. It's just that people keep trying to get it and talk about it. Um, and it's, Do they it's react the when they finally see it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <gasps> exactly. It's the MacGuffin. It's, it's the MacGuffin. <laughs> the, uh, and also the Shocker is just a terrible, terrible character. I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> and the shocker's already in homecoming. That's right. That's right. He is already in homecoming. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's there you it. Go. So superior foes Crime of Spider-Man. Humor. Good idea. Good idea. I like that better than anything that Sony is doing with spider characters. <laughs> uh, it's already. a low bar. So yeah, it is. Moises, what's your idea? 
You know, I I think I'm I'm with Dan. I'm with Lisa in different respects. Dan, I, I think we should talk about villains a bit. Uh, Lisa was talking about the the political complexities of this world in which you know who gets to decide who are going to be the super police of the world um, and who's right and who gets to make various decisions. Um, so I I feel I feel drawn in particular to a property that has not been touched by the MCU proper, that has not been touched or even uh, um, cheekily mentioned in any of the TV series. Um, A heroic group with few others, uh, led by a valiant patriot named Citizen V, and that is the Thunderbolts, Hmm. who in the comics were introduced as a brand new team of superheroes uh, that, that do amazing things and save people and do great stuff. And on the last page of the first issue are revealed to in fact be the masters of evil in different disguises led by baron zemo and we still have a baron zemo Zemo. on the table and he's so good oh my gosh daniel brule is such a good actor to me it would be a waste to not do more with him He's got such a great tragic backstory in um in Civil War 2 and I really enjoy how for him not enjoy but I really admire how they set it up where he's like this is a military op with a very personal mission and with that kind of motivation and backstory I think you should bring him back in he shouldn't just be a one time guy Absolutely I, I think I think it makes all the sense in the world and I feel like I feel like that's part of the reason that they used him the way that they did in Civil War is so that they had the door open to do something like that down the road. If they if they go down some of the routes that they've gone in the comics, they have the opportunity to do something like that. Though they would they would they would probably do some things to again mess with it. Um, they might insert Ant Man into it. We might have a Scott Lang in the MCU that just cannot stay out of trouble and and is kind of a bad guy. And so maybe you end up making him the recognizable existing MCU character that's integrated and you pull in some hench people, hench villains from other MCU movies and put them in disguises that aren't even immediately recognizable as the Thunderbolts. And you, you integrate it into a movie with a different title and you reveal them as the Thunderbolts uh, later in the film. Hmm. Um, I, I feel like there's, there's something to be done there with all of the pieces they have on the table, it would be, it'd be ridiculous not to just at least entertain it, especially when they're talking about not just making Avengers colon this Avengers colon that forever and ever ad infinitum. Uh, it, it gives them their own, I guess you would say suicide, suicide squad type different tone that they can take some of their characters in. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, uh, we're going to do Bring Out Your Dead. First, let me give you my uh, last pitch. It is, I, I really like this kind of surf noir idea that's film noir, but it's in like Southern California. And so the, oh, sun, is, is the sun is a little bit too bright, a little too bright out there, uh, the, you know, but I, I like that. I like that in Veronica Mars. That's a show that's, it's doing noir, but it's also doing it in the bright lights of Southern California. Um, and because of Jeremy Renner being Hawkeye in the Avengers, sadly, I don't think we're ever going to get Matt Fraction's Hawkeye of Clint Barton. But uh, how about Matt Fraction's and other writers since then, Kate Bishop as <laughs> the other Hawkeye, <laughs> right? Oh, 
did, you did, snipe well, my Kate Bishop yeah, did, did everybody have this on I'm their sure list? I'm sure everybody I did. did. And I kept waiting for somebody <laughs> yeah. to pick it. And nobody did. So I'm going to do it. So, so yeah, you can't do the Jeremy uh-huh. Renner Hawkeye. That's fine. Do the Kate Bishop Hawkeye. One of the nice things is we could see her learning to be Hawkeye. We could even have her be that she was trained by Clint Barton Hawkeye. If we want to do that, we, you could use Jeremy Renner if you want to or don't. If you don't, it's fine. But we kind of like leave Hawkeye in the past. And then it's about Kate finding her way in L.A. Uh, there are crimes. Maybe Madame Mask is involved. That's a funny character for a villain, actually. It's very lots of lots of humor, um, lots of darkness, lots of weirdness with her family. Um, little L.A. Uh, bright sunlit noir story about Kate Bishop, who is trying to figure out her place when everybody says she's not the real Hawkeye, but she is. She's the other Hawkeye, and she's just as good as Clint Barton is at shooting arrows and stuff. So that I think that would be a really fun, great movie. And uh, it is, you know, don't lose sight of Kate Bishop when you uh, talk about the Matt Fraction Hawkeye and what has happened since, because it's uh, she's a great character and would be a great uh, lead in a movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero's run on her comic is amazing and I highly recommend yeah. it. And uh, Ke- Kelly Thompson's new run on West Coast Avengers, headed by her and that other Hawkeye, uh, is pretty great. Yep. No, Kate, yeah, if people haven't read the Kate Bishop comics, starting with her alternating with and, and being a, a, a guest sort of supporting, she starts out as supporting in Matt Fraction's Hawkeye and then it turns into the um, oh, alternating Hawkeyes. And mm-hmm. then she goes off on her own book and that's great. Like, there's a lot of really great Kate Bishop, so people should check her out. Mm-hmm. She's She is a lot of fun. All right, bring out your dead. Lisa, what ideas are still on the table that you want to blow past us here as we finish up? Well, I'm going to drop my Kate Bishop thing, which was basically Raymond Ch- Raymond Chandler meets Jackie Collins. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to go for the Nancy Myers midlife rom-com with Nick Fury and the uh, Contessa Valentina, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. They're both spies. They're both deeply committed to their careers. They're crazy about each other. Can they make it work? Okay. That was my rom-com pitch because... The MCU has not done a rom-com, and I think it would be genuinely disorienting to um, do one with Nick Fury. I think Samuel L. Jackson is more than up for the challenge, and I think that you do make it complicated by having him connect with somebody who treats spycraft the same way he does, except that she just happens to keep working consistently for different companies. Um yeah, and I I I like I really like how Samuel L. Jackson plays Nick Fury. Um one of the things I deeply dislike about the Ultimates comics is how they play Nick Fury as just a complete psychopathic sadist. And um I feel like what we need to do is actually see a Nick Fury where we learn the reason he is so good at spying is because he hasn't forgotten that he's human and has human motivations. And then is like, crap, I really want to date this woman, except that she keeps working for organizations I'm supposed to take down. How is this going to work? And it'd be fun to see, you know, it'd be fun to see kind of a Nancy Myers thing. Like he has a really nice kitchen. There's walks on the beach and uh, amusing friends who stop by, like for some reason, um, uh, Maria Hill is the one he ends up confiding in over a bottle of white wine one night. I, I just really want to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, uh, that I, I can picture it, Lisa. I, I can actually yeah. picture that movie. That, that's a fun <laughs> idea. Nathan, bring out your dead. What, uh, what do you have left on the table? Two quick ones. One, Natalie Portman returns to the role of Jane Foster yeah. as Thor. Yeah. There's a, a recent great run in the that comics. Was on my list. Jane Foster is dying of cancer. Oh, um, the when art she was finds so good. Thor's hammer. 
Uh, she turns into Thor to save the world because Thor cannot. He is no longer worthy to lift Mjolnir. Um, but every time she turns into Thor, her body rejects the chemotherapy that's killing her cancer and gets that much closer to dying. So you have uh, a really meaty role for Natalie Portman with tons of agency where she's not a prop. She's not the girlfriend. She's not a sidekick. And more importantly, you get a chance to bring Darcy Lewis back to the MCU because we <laughs> no, all no. need more Darcy. I mean, Nat- Natalie's, Natalie's kid also has to go to college somewhere. Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my, my other idea is uh, real quick well, Marvel hasn't done a Western yet, and there's a very cool, very obscure character called Vegas. He basically exists in a Marvel superhero version of Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, where he used to be a petty criminal who was the only non powered member of a gang of dangerous Western super criminals, accidentally got powers in an accident that killed his sister, and uh, now wanders the West looking for revenge on them with his new ability to steal luck from people and use it for himself. Um, and it's a really cool premise that with a touch, he can take your luck away or give luck back to you at his own expense. And he uses that to, to stop people and save people. Uh, it's really obscure. It was created by Car- uh, Carl Kiesel and Carmine DiGiacomento, I think is the correct pronunciation. But it's uh, sort of like an um, obscure movie I love called Intacto, uh, where people do all kinds of crazy bets involving luck and taking luck from others. And it's just a really cool idea that's represented in the comics with a, a blast of visual math of probabilities as he touches people. And I'd like to see that and a kind of a fun, creepy Western take on superheroes. All right. Uh, Dan, bring out your dead. Uh, I got a handful of smaller ones. There are some characters that I think have been un- unutilized who are would be fantastic. Um, so you've got Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. Yeah. Um, you've got a great run in the comics where she's juggling single motherhood in addition to being sort of a PI slash superhero slash super spy. Uh, just a fantastic, very, very funny run. Um, I would, I would love to see that an adaptation of that. Uh, surprised that nobody mentioned Ms. Marvel, who I think, you know, yeah. would be a fantastic. Oh, oh, oh um, I've, I've got something to tag on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a great run there as well uh, with G. Willow Wilson's um, reinvention of the character and just, you know, lots of opportunity there. I have a soft spot for the recent run of Hellcat um, by Kate Leth, which is involves um, Patsy Walker opening essentially a temp agency for superheroes who need jobs, <laughs> which is delightful and ridiculous. Um, while we're at it, how about we bring back Agent Carter just because, just because. Cause yeah, sure. Yeah. Agent now, Carter. Anyone going anyone gonna to no. object to that? I didn't think so. There's so many options. We know she keeps going until the 80s, so there's plenty of adventures for her to have in the 60s and 70s. Why not? Um, and then I'll throw in there for total. Um, I, I think it would be this needs to be down the road a little bit. I think once, you know, Marvel gets away from sort of the uh, monolithic storyline and can sort of verge off and do different things. But hey, how about an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's 1602? Oh, it was on uh, my list. Oh. It was on my list, Dan. <laughs> you got me. Uh, which is a very, very strange but kind of a fascinating little story about uh, the early days of the United States, or not in the United States, North America in its uh, colonial days and all of the characters that we know somewhat familiar, but also very different. Uh, and then just to top it off, an adaptation of the spectacular Spider-Ham. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, apparently he shows up in uh, in the new animated Spider-Man yeah, Spider-Verse. Yes, all he's the Spider-verse, voiced by yeah. John Mulaney. Peter Porker. Yeah. 
yeah. all right good that's good dan even though you snipe me moises what's on uh, what's left on your list well scott lang's daughter cassie is introduced in these ant-man movies and we've heard tell of them in- integrating kamala khan miss marvel at some point somehow in the comics um for some reason titles called young avengers avengers academy avengers with youth modifier just hasn't seemed to work and so recently they reclaimed a trademark a copyright uh for a team called the champions and that is where they put young heroes uh they put um vision's daughter viv they have the young nova they have the amadeus cho totally awesome hulk um there's no reason that that can't be a place to put a youth hero team that doesn't have the kid identifier um, that, that makes it seem too kitty. Um, it, it, it seems like there may eventually be a home for something like that. I would love to see them do a fun, um, not so dire, not so hard PG 13 teen superhero thing, because we've got a lot of really solid adult superheroes and I would love to see them do not the completely G rated level of things, but something going more toward the PG end of PG 13, if you know what I mean. Um, I think that could be really fun, really cool. Um, and, and it's, it, it's, it's like we said, a genre they haven't completely played in. They've played with fun. They've played with, you know, whatever, but there's always, there's a, there's always a little bit of the same kind of brand feel to it. And I feel like there's a way to do that without, without saying, well, that's what we do in animation. That that's the most, uh, fleshed out one that I had. Otherwise, the others are kind of fragments of ideas. Um, I love the Squadron Supreme, which was set up as kind of an alternate reality pastiche of the Justice League. There's a really wonderful 12-part miniseries by uh, the dearly departed Mark Grunewald that that posits what happens when a Justice League-style super team decides to take take the reins of the world and turn it into a utopia and an right. Avengers versus Squadron Supreme sort of um you know multiverse crossing thing if if they end up dipping into the multiverse stuff which I feel like they eventually will that could be fun um or you could just send one in, in the style of of a really great 90s uh series called Mutant X written by Howard Mackey if you sent an identifiable Avenger character to the alternate world of the Squadron Supreme and they have to uh, prevent that that world from falling under the fascist control of this superhero team that would be a cool way to to do the kind of thor ragnarok style mashing up thor and a planet hulk movie um the the character that i just want to see them introduce is a character of myth a character of legend that they keep trying to make a movie of with yet another hunky dude and it just never quite works but one of the softest spots in my heart for Marvel characters is for Marvel's Hercules, who should absolutely be played by Joe Manganiello. I mean, the <laughs> word manga is in his oh. name. Um, it just he makes sense. so great as Hercules. Would, oh, my he gosh. He would kill it. He would kill it, especially <sighs> oh if they let gosh. him be bisexual, pansexual. Um, you know, the the kind of Hercules that, that I really love the most from Fred Van Lente and Greg Pak's work on the character. Um the uh, the other the other two things one of them is completely ridiculous I'll leave it for last um, there are so many iterations of what one could do with Spider Man and they have been trying to just shove a square peg into the round hole of making a Sinister Six something or another happen and I love the Sinister Six there should be a Sinister Six but I would really love for when they play with multiverse stuff in the Spider Man world I would love for them to do something that they haven't done in the comics and I'm surprised they haven't but have Spider Man assemble his team of six spiders called the sensational six 
and use Silk, use Spider-Woman, use Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, Scarlet Spider, the Superior Spider-Man, Spider-Ham. I don't know. I don't care. Um, but I just I, I love the idea of doing something that they haven't really done in the comics uh, that it, it seems odd that they haven't. Um, they've done Spider-Verse. They're doing a Spider-Verse animated yeah, movie. Web Warriors is a little like that. Yeah. Right. But it's it, it's 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 more like here's a supplementary thing where we're plugging holes in the multiverse. Yeah. But it's more like I could see Spider-Man losing to the Sinister Six and being banished to another reality or something and having to assemble a team to go back and, you know, and and save New York. Um, something, something, something dumb and comic booky like that. I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like the idea that with the titles of the movies, you know, far from home, I don't know what they're doing with that homecoming didn't fit the exact model of this is the exact Spider-Man story they're doing. I like the idea of continuing to run toward that and doing thing, doing versions of things that we know from Spider-Man lore, but that haven't been done to death or haven't been done. No, but seriously, it, this is really Craven's last hunt. We're serious this time. Um, where, where they're just repeating the exact same beats. Um, the most ridiculous one that I have, um, I, I, I mentioned uh, writer Mark Ruinwald a moment ago, and one of my favorite uh, um, ridiculous things that he did that I like more than I think a lot of people did was he turned Captain America into a werewolf. <laughs> Now wait. Now wait. Yes, you could you could do wait, a Captain America werewolf. Wait, this is with J. Jonah Jameson's son who's also like a werewolf and an astronaut mm-hmm. doing Captain America as a werewolf that that's a version of it. But let's let's just pause it. Let's say maybe they kill Steve Rogers or something and somebody else to, has to take on the mantle and maybe as Lisa suggests and I think she knows kind of where I'm going. Um but you're going to see a twist in a moment. Uh it ends up being J. Jonah Jameson's son uh who who takes up the mantle. And and he turns into Cap Wolf. Something else from the comics. I mentioned a, a series called Mutant X. And one of my favorite characters from Mutant <gasps> X is Bloodstorm, yes. a version of Storm who was turned into a vampire. And, you know, another underappreciated monster character. It's when they turned Frank Castle into a Frankenstein. <laughs> and there's a little movie that you may have heard of called The Monster Squad. And so, yes, I am saying Marvel should do Marvel's Legion of Monsters, one of their IP, in the mold of The Monster Squad. Because they have all of the pieces. It would be ridiculous. People would watch it every Halloween. It would be the greatest thing of all time. I, You did not disappoint, Moises. You did not disappoint with all of these. <laughs> was, it his, what is, was it his banana pants cuckoo crazy uh, as I had promised? Yeah, yeah, you did it. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> there we go. Um, of beauty. And I have to go last as the host. So here's here, here are the ones that I had uh, still on the table. And, and while people were talking, I added a couple more. So I love Nova, even though he was a basic Marvel ripoff of Green Lantern. One of the interesting things is I think it would be I think it would be kind of fun to tell the Nova story now that the Nova Corps got introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy. The idea that there's a human being who gets given the power of of these space uh, superhero slash policeman. Um, it could be a cosmic Marvel thing. So again, it could be kind of like a an interesting mishmash of Guardians of the Galaxy and a more traditional superhero movie. Maybe a little so, bit more. So you're Ragnarok-like. saying it's like Marvel Marvel's Marvel's cosmic Highlander? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I want the Russian dog who's in the spacesuit in Guardians of the Galaxy. Cos- Cosmo. Cosmo. I want, Cosmo. I want Cosmo. I want Howard the Duck to be in it a little bit. Um, it's going to be a little bit wacky, but it's going to be Rich Rider learning how to deal with outer space as just a kid from 
where is he from new jersey queens i don't know where he's mm-hmm. from um something like that so that's one a nova movie um i'm gonna pitch a spider girl movie i thought spider girl was a fun character the idea there is that she is spider-man's daughter spider-man and mary jane's daughter i might see if kirsten dunst and tony mcguire want to be the parents in that movie <laughs> uh, but that could be a fun movie uh speaking on uh, staying on the spider theme and again yes they have to work with sony on all of these things um i would like a uh, spider gwen movie at some point i'm a little surprised that they're i'm glad they're going with a silk movie in development i think that's good uh, the black cat movie maybe not so much but a spider gwen movie at some point that's a fun character great character design could be a, a lot of fun um i'm gonna pitch a thor movie we already have jane foster thor i also want the beta ray bill thor movie where thor <laughs> as we perhaps the chris hemsworth and the, thor the, and in, in in honor of chips and beta ray bill team up in mm-hmm. chips Sutterth. We love you. I, I can't ever see Beta Ray Bill. I was so happy when I saw him in Thor Ragnarok. I was like, oh, I hope yeah. Chip saw it. Horse Thor and <laughs> Thor team up. So sue me if Frog Thor is not in that, I will not watch uh, There it. will be a Frog Thor cameo at the very least. And finally, mm. a Machine Man is a character that I always loved from the 70s. When I was a little kid and I was reading comics, I liked Aaron Stack, Machine Man. He thinks he's human. Turns out he's a, he's actually an android. And it's just an interesting character. And maybe maybe it could be wacky and it could be more like Agents of Hate. Uh, or maybe it could be a little more straight up. But I, I, I that's a character I'd like to see in the MCU. They don't even need to build a whole movie around him. But I always like Machine Man. And I'd like to see uh, him in a movie somewhere, sometime. Okay, that is is the pitch session now i'm going to i'm going to take us through from from bottom to top as as the average rating so what happened is i asked the incomparable panelists most of whom have participated at some point on this uh summer of marvel at some point okay and what they uh what what they i had them do is rank these movies not in order from best to worst but give them a score out of five one being worst five being best just rate the marvel movies and this is the average i I, i've already forgotten what i put (laughs) so we're gonna go from the bottom from number from number 20 all the way up to number one and i'm gonna let all of you do free association if you have a comment about that movie you can get it out and then we're just gonna move on and we're gonna rattle through these this is again uh something like 20 incomparable panelists all took this poll and rated these movies from one to five number 20 it will come as no surprise to anyone. It is the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I will say one thing yeah. I liked about the Incredible Hulk. Okay. Only one. Which is, I like that they do the origin story over the credits. That's one of my favorite pieces of it. And you didn't need to rehash the whole damn thing. I like that they try to set up a, a metaphor about the battle between the, the body, the brain, and the heart. But otherwise, eh. it It has much more going for it than I think... Uh, a lot of people give it credit for because it stands in such uh, stark, yeah, that's a pun, uh, comparison to Iron Man and the MCU stuff that was grown up around it, proximity-wise, um, for what they had to work with and the and the then current uh, lack of infrastructure they had for all this MCU stuff. I, I think it turned out radically better than it might have. That doesn't make it good. Yeah, it doesn't make it great. I, I feel like I like it more than the vast majority of people, and I keep saying that about the bottom rungs on the ladder of this sure. stuff. I feel like this movie proves an MCU truism, which is that good casting cannot save bad writing. 
even when you have Ed Norton furiously rewriting it like crazy. I saw The Incredible Hulk only for the summer of Marvel, and I was fully expecting it to be my least favorite Marvel movie. But guess what? Number 19, Thor, <laughs> The Dark World, eclipsed oh, it. Oh, God. Yeah. I refer you to my previous work on the subject. All right. Yeah. I remember enjoying it. Uh, I like Darcy and Crazy Eric Selvig. Uh, I like Thor and Loki bickering like brothers, and I, I love Cap's cameo. And yeah. Rene Russo goes out like a boss. Nobody rated it higher than three out of five. I, I, I think, Nathan, you just mentioned like all the highlights of the movie. There's literally nothing about that movie plot-wise that makes sense. Like There's ether and elves and uh, just... The, there's that action scene with all, all, the, the, all the portals is fun. All the, the portals, portals are so all, of the, all of the quote-unquote growth that Thor had in the first movie where he becomes worthy of Mjolnir seems to be kind of stalled out in this movie, which makes no sense it's from a character good. development perspective. It's just... Oy. My love to John Moltz. It's compared good. to all the rest of them, uh, honestly, this is a standout. This is radically more comprehensible than all of them. And by all of them, I mean the DCU movies. Ah, uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it has Chris O'Dowd. Uh, number 18, I think also if you listen to our episodes, not as surprising... Age of Ultron, which has not aged particu- particularly well. Ultron it's does a not beautiful movie in, in, age in, in, well. In, four, in, in 4K with the sound off, it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> yep. With really good visual storytelling. Like Alien Resurrection, it's a fascinating silent film. Uh, number 17, Iron Man 2. You know, for a Banner franchise, the Iron Man movies did not rate well. At least the the sequels did not rate well. Number 17, Iron Man 2. Number 16 was Iron Man 3, which I agree is a better movie. I think Iron... I think both of these... I rated both of these movies more highly than that. Uh, Well, okay, Iron Man 2 is not great. It is not great. It's not a bad movie, but it's not great. Iron Man 3, I kind of like that he stays out of the suit for a long time and is a broken man after what happens in the Avengers. I I enjoy Ben Kingsley as ridiculous as that is, as the concept it is. He plays it to the hilt, and it is, the end of that kind movie of is kind of a snooze because it's just all all of the suits flying around and I don't like the end of that movie um, but I like the rest of it and Shane Black it feels like a movie that was made by Shane Black and th- that's a good thing yeah I mean you got 20 movies some of them are going to have to be at the bottom they can't all be gems folks no the subversion of the orientalism of the Mandarin character for me uh, makes up for a lot of the sins of iron man three uh just as a standalone movie for me the the three movies don't are uh, the first movie is outstanding is fantastic all on its own but that's the benefit of being the first movie in a series but i feel like of the characters that have gotten three movies um it's it's one of the more interesting and consistent in terms of the aim of the storytelling arcs that's being told uh which i i'll i'll I'll, it's not that i dislike the cat movies it's not that i dislike uh the thor movies or the dark world tanks uh all three of them heavily or something like that but i feel like there's a more interesting better through line yeah there's a better through line to the whole three of them together they 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 function best as a set yeah, Sam Rockwell is is wonderful in uh, in Iron Man two. Iron Man three is a great Shane Black movie. It's a lackluster superhero movie, and if you took it out of the MCU, you'd be missing nothing. I violently disagree with the last sentiment, but I'll let it go. Yeah, number fifteen <laughs> is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume two. I uh, endorse that opinion. I was disappointed by it. It's mm-hmm. better upon rewatch, it's a but it's a mess. It's a meh. 
I don't like anything with Ego's Planet. That's my short version of that. The rest of it I is fine. I do like Kurt Russell, but the rest of it is... I, uh, I like this a lot. I, I would rate it a lot higher. I thought it was a visual delight. I love the through line of, of ego versus empathy that runs through the, the plotting and the characterization. And uh, Plus, it has Ben Browder in gold paint doing his uh, his fake bad guy accent. So as a Farscape fan, I got to rate it highly. I feel like it it does the archetypical Marvel daddy issue story really, really incredibly well. I think with with some of the nuance touched on previously, the thing that it suffers from the most is um, the insanely, impossibly high expectations following an unexpected uh, mega hit from something nobody expected anything from. That until people actually sat down and saw the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, they had even those who were familiar with the characters had little to no expectations as to what the movie of that was going to actually be. And I feel like it, it it is almost impossible for this movie to have done anything to have met the expectations everybody had coming into it. Um, Infinity War was rated 14th, which surprised me because I really enjoy that movie, even though it is sad at the end. Um, but uh, some people, I think, were just kind of fed up, I guess, with franchising and uh, connecting everybody together and throwing uh, 40 characters in a blender. Um, any other thoughts about Infinity War? No, I think it's all like Ultron, not Ultron, the original Avengers movie where you're just kind of relieved all of the parts move and make one coherent machine whole. And then later when you look at it, you're like, okay, I was relieved when I watched it because it worked. But now that I can see how the machine is moving, I would redesign it. I rewatched it recently. It was still good. Yep. Same. It does. It does everything I love in good big superhero crossovers. And it does everything everyone hates. Um, number 13 was Thor, the original which you know my i was i you know as i said on our thor episode uh i love all the stuff when he's on earth and the stuff in asgard is a snooze for me but i think i think the stuff when he's on earth is really funny and i like him as a fish out of water best tom hiddleston performance there's a lot of smart stuff under the surface in that movie the idea that there was a like three hour cut with more asgard stuff i just can't (laughs) under i can't i can't see that in my mind's eye i can't i can't fathom that (laughs) (laughs) number 12 Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, this is a... I, I, I kind of wasn't sure how to rate this because we, I have seen it one time and I enjoyed it, but I'm not quite sure uh, how I feel beyond that. I liked it. Did I love it? Uh, it was a nice relief after Infinity War, I'll say that. I saw it twice and I have to say that I endure the fact that the at the end of it, it resolves with heroes acting like heroes and saving the bad, the quote unquote bad guy. Mm. To me, that is a huge redemption in its favor. Mm. Four words. Luis, the next Avengers. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Number 11, Doctor Strange, which I keep thinking I would put, well, I, I would definitely put it in my uh, top half, but he's kicking around mm. here in the middle. Doctor Strange. Some people just uh, doesn't work as well as other people, but I, I like it a lot. And every time I watch it, I think, wow, I like this movie way more than I remember. Every time I watch trippy it. Trippy visuals. Trippy visuals. Love it for the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really buy the heel turn at the end by uh, Doctor Strange's former ally who yeah. all of a sudden gets principles and decides to walk away. Oh, but I love Chiwetel for He's great. Also, excellent American accent, Benedict Cumberbatch. I just wanted to do that one more time. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to have hard R's. Yeah, when you're from New Jersey, as I am. I am a regular human being who talks like um, human number beings Number 10, do. again, right down the middle. Uh, we're straddling the top half and the bottom half now. Civil War, Captain America Civil War, which, yeah, which, which was very divisive, actually. Divisive, some people really so. don't like it, and some people really, really <laughs> love really it. I really love it. I love it. Really too. love it. Yep. Me too. Number nine, The Ant Man. Yeah, it's a good movie. And and that's probably my West Coast bias showing. Yeah. It's just fun. The, 
It's just fun. The, only, the only MCU movie that I say you absolutely should have seen at least once in 3D. Mm. Yeah. I love it. I like the sequel even better. I feel like they underuse Corey Stoll, but that's a endemic complaint for most Marvel villains is they do great casting and don't use them well. Number eight is the billion dollar movie itself, The Avengers. It's better than it had any right to be. As previously said, I that agreed. was a movie that nobody mm-hmm. believed would be anything even remotely coherent. And the fact that it actually holds together is remarkable. Mm-hmm. It, a total miracle. And I wish we got to see the version of it that Whedon wanted to have the Wasp in. Number seven, Captain America, the first Avenger. I'll just disclose, I gave this a five out of five. It's one of my very favorite mm-hmm. Marvel movies. Movie. Captain America, the Rocketeer. I love it. I could mm-hmm. watch this. Yes, Jojo. A million mm-hmm. times and never get tired of it. It's my absolute favorite. He's so the star strangled man with a plan. Yes, he is. Oh, oh my soul always oh. dies a little bit during that sequence because I feel that so bad so for good. him. It's so good and so like, cringy. Uh, number six, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which again I will say is my favorite Marvel movie. Six. Man, yeah, it's up there for me. I can't believe it's all the way down at six. Well, I mean, we're we're in rarefied air here. This is the movie that turned my husband permanently off superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> Because he was like, I'm really, he, no, he was like, I'm really tired of seeing people blow. He's like, I'm tired of seeing directors blow up cities like it's no big deal. Like there's no set piece. Like there's no accountability for damage. That's just look to see what kind of big, bad destruction our heroes can, can be part of. And I thought that was a really, it's an interesting take and an interesting perspective. The only way I got him to see Ant-Man was by pointing out there are no cities destroyed. <laughs> it features one of the most perfect uh, perfectly choreographed moments in all of the MCU movies. Is that it the is elevator Gary fight? Shandling. Please say it's Gary Shandling whispering the words "Hail Hydra." <laughs> uh, uh, the elevator fight is my favorite. I love that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Number yeah. five is Guardians of the Galaxy. It hasn't aged as well for me, but mm. yeah, I, I, same, same. A lot of people really love it. There definitely seems to be a, a real split on Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's okay, but I don't. I I I don't consider it i think i gave it a three out of five uh, rocket raccoon is i think my favorite one of my favorite characters uh in the entire mcu but that he can't he can't save all yeah. of this for me the fact that they introduced rocket by having him make fun of a baby it's just <laughs> Brad- bradley cooper moment. does some fine work there mm-hmm. no, remember remember that that album that you got really obsessed with in college and listened to over and over and over and you loved more than anything and how eventually you got kind of cool on it but you go back to it and you go, that Aww. is kind of a great album, you know? Uh, that, I've just moved past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just moved past it. Uh, I can still appreciate what this did for changing the precedent of the MCU. They didn't have to go to safe characters. They didn't have to exactly adapt storylines. I, I like what it did for the MCU more than I like it as something that I can rewatch readily now. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Pivotal, I think, for what it did for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Number four, mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok. Look, a Thor movie that's highly rated. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, My least yeah. favorite Thor movie. It's two movies uh, at odds with each other. <laughs> one of them is fantastic. Uh, the other one doesn't work, and Taika Waititi doesn't care about it as much as he cares about the first movie. I'm, mm. I'm going to be the outlier Everybody here. Everybody else rated yeah. it four or five. Nathan rated it a two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the mashing together of everything fun and crazy. It's what 
it's what I like in Thor stuff. The uh, number three movie. Remember when people said, I can't believe they're making another Spider-Man movie? And we said, no, 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 no. But this one's going to be different. It is Spider-Man Homecoming. What a fantastic movie. My personal favorite scene in all of the MCU is the car ride with Michael Keaton and Tom Holland, which is amazingly (laughs) shot and written as all. And to Lisa's point earlier about no destruction of the cities going unremarked upon. This kind of picks up that thread a little bit, which is kind of it cool. It does. And I like that the he- the big final fight is the hero desperately trying to save the villain's life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any Anything that makes Marvel's damage control the central part of a narrative. <laughs> it's true. Also, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Donald Glover just has two scenes, yeah. and they're both really good scenes. They're both and awesome. And that scene where he's like, I got ice cream here. Ice cream's melting, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you need to be the key line actually for the whole movie is when Donald Glover says you need to be better at this like <laughs> yes indeed uh, number two the original Iron Man yeah. it's a good movie yeah, that's man. a movie you go back to and you're movie. like oh they were really lucky that this was that the, the first MCU movie and it was a big hit and it created this whole thing because it is very good with perfect casting like it's there, there's so much good about that movie and they they it uh, talk about um, Guardians being a pivotal moment where they realized they could do other things. Iron Man was just such a learning experience to say this is the kind of template we need for these movies. How ironic, Jason. How ironic is it? I hope Marvel <laughs> bought John Favreau a very, very large, very, very nice house. I think because mm-hmm. they owe him so. You, you yeah. think they only bought him one? Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> he may have a small country somewhere. A very mm-hmm. large house that can be subdivided into other houses uh-huh. that fly. Yep. A small country only rich people know about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Indeed. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm in. And that means at number one, Howard the Duck. <laughs> it is, you drink this and you will lose the power of the Black Panther. Oh. Uh, I just watched Black Panther for the first time in a while this weekend. And guess what, everybody? It's still mm-hmm. really good. <laughs> it's coming to Netflix in yeah, a few Yeah, I gotta weeks. rewatch it. I'll rewatch it when it's, it's on it's Netflix. Still pretty good. There, there are things that I can complain about. It's not my favorite Marvel movie. Uh, some of the action scenes are a little too samey, but everything mm. else in it, the themes, the characters, the look of it are just great. And it is the best mm-hmm. villain. Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger. Yes. The villain who's right. Mm-hmm but is doing it wrong and who changes the world through challenging the hero. Just amazing. And three amazing female characters in a genre mm. that is often shortchanged. Them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes you look at other superhero movies and go, what are those? <laughs> it makes you look at other superhero movies and say, you need to be better at this. Yeah, better at this. Be better. It's like you just gesture vaguely and encompass everything with do more of this. It, Really, I, I feel like the, I feel like it blows open the doors on a whole new visual vocabulary of filmmaking and a whole new cultural vocabulary of filmmaking. The same way I can remember watching The Matrix and thinking, "Okay, wow, this is going to change movies because we now know what they can look like." And with Black Panther, I'm like, "This changes superhero movies because we now know what they can mean." Yeah, here are how many layers of subtext you're allowed now. By the way, there was never a limit, guys. Mm-hmm. And the subtext reinforces the the superhero elements. It's not a, a superhero movie in conflict with the subtext it all works together to make this awesome amazing fun ride that also has big deep meaty themes when i decided to do the summer of marvel as we wrap this up now um one of the things that i the feed piece of feedback it was a good good 
piece of joking feedback in the incomparable slack when i said i think we're going to do this marvel thing was well it's good that you're bringing attention to these little known films <laughs> and i think here's but, and here's my my response to that and i think this fits with black panther too which is the these films and this franchise concept have completely transformed how media companies think of making movies now for better and worse i think everybody wants a franchise everybody wants a connected universe it's really changed a lot of things however they are wildly popular and as as we've said repeatedly uh, across these last 10 weeks marvel learned i think especially with guardians of the galaxy that they could make different kinds of movies that they could use their clout as marvel that people would come and see a marvel movie to make different kinds of movies with and it took them a while it took them longer than it should have but when you see some of these movies like thor ragnarok um like uh guardians of the galaxy like i would say ant-man and doctor strange you see them having different kinds of stories that they're telling and you see a movie like black panther where you know this is a movie that is working on so many different levels and i think it's important that first that Marvel lent its its weight and success to the making of that movie and got it in front of eyeballs who would not have seen a movie with these themes in it otherwise. I, I think, you know, they have the power and the clout and they affect our culture. And that's why I think it's interesting to take these silly superhero movies seriously on some levels, I think it is important, and I think Black Panther is a great example of how you can create very interesting cultural conversations and push forward some of the language of film, even if it is not a prestige. You know, it's not gonna, it's not probably Black Panther's probably not gonna win Best Picture, but it might have made the Oscars create a popular Oscar category for a couple of years from now. How strange is that? Uh, anyway, so that, that was my rationale in even covering the Marvel movies. I think Black Panther is a great example of it because these they do matter. They're wildly successful. They are changing the industry as a business and they reach um, a global audience in a way that a lot of other films don't and they will affect the next generation of filmmakers. Of that, there's also no doubt. If, if, if the, something that when, when you said that you were embarking on this, I was taken back to uh, in my my currently on hiatus comics podcast, Giant Size, when I said to my co-host, hey, let's do a mini series of episodes on all of the major comics crossovers. We can get that done in a couple episodes and just hit the high points. And about 14 episodes later, uh, we were dead yep. and we regretted every part of it. Um, the, if there's a there's a little tag on Black Panther that I have that kind of leads into uh, just one thing that I wanted to say, which is I found it fascinating watching the director's roundtable on the Infinity War special features that all of the other directors were almost st- sitting standing in awe of um, of what um, of what Ryan Coogler accomplished with Black Panther. And I think it said something about how the next step of the MCU is maybe have more than just one of that person at the table um, and expand out what they're doing with the movies. And I feel like the fact that they seem to be running headlong, hopefully toward that is a good indication of, of them broadening the horizons and doing more unsafe things. Um, That said, it is fascinating in a way that I would, I would paraphrase something Warren Ellis said in his, in his uh, newsletter. Infinity War isn't just the third Avengers movie. It's a sequel to 18 movies made over 10 years. That doesn't really make sense unless you've seen most or all of them. And the fact that they did that in and of itself is, is astonishing to me. Yep. Same. 
And that, that is a weird movie because I, I think that may be one of the reasons why it doesn't rate as highly as like you kind of need to be all in. <laughs> Infinity War, it requires a lot of uh, prerequisites before you can take it as a class. But as somebody who's seen all these movies, I really liked it. Um, all right. Well, you know what? The Summer of Marvel has come to an end. We've uh, ranked the movies. We've suggested where they can go from there. Um, next year, there will be more Marvel movies. Next year, there will be a Captain Marvel movie. There will be another Avengers movie. And there will be another Spider-Man movie. All right. I would like to thank my guests for joining me on this journey. Uh, thanks to all the panelists who've been on this summer, but especially thanks to the ones who are on this episode. Nathan Alderman, thank you. We are Groot, Jason. Uh, we are Groot. We indeed. We are Groot indeed. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed participating. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you. So you got detention. <laughs> and Moises Chuyan, thank you. Jason, I know that we forgot to mention any X-Men movies, but that was by design. And I look forward to Millie the Model and the Secret Defenders. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And thanks to everybody out there for listening and being on this journey with us with the Summer of Marvel. We'll be back next week with something that is not about a Marvel comic or a Marvel movie, I assume. Uh, Let me look here. Yep, yep, definitely not. Definitely we're ending the Summer of Marvel right now. Uh, I've been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with something entirely different.